Well, I don't know about you, but I love it when I come across as totally competent. <laughs> uh, I love it when people think that I've totally got my act together, right? When people see me as confident and knowledgeable, when I'm perceived as being theologically astute and culturally relevant. What I don't love is when people can see my weaknesses, when my lack of confidence shows through, when I don't have all the answers, when I don't know what the next step should be. Well, Mandy Smith, who we'll be talking with today, has written a wonderful book titled The Vulnerable Pastor, How Human Limitations Empower Our Ministry. And in this book, she shares about the ways uh, that our humanity and our weakness are actually a source of strength in our ministries. I think too often we believe that we have to fit a particular ministry stereotype or certain ministry stereotypes in order to experience success in our ministries. Mandy exposes uh, the existence, like kind of what these stereotypes are or the fact that they are there and exposes them for, for what they are. And she gives us permission to be who we are so that God can work through our true selves not the false selves that we want the world to see. It's a great episode, and I'm glad you're here. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode 36 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Uh, Mandy Smith, hi there. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. Um, so uh, Mandy is the lead pastor at University Christian Church and uh, also the author of The Vulnerable Pastor, and I'm glad to get to talk to you today. Yeah, thanks for having <laughs> me on. Yeah. So um, I'll let you tell your story in just a minute, but let me ask you just a couple of quick uh, kind of get-to-know-you questions that uh, I think are fun to do at the beginning of these conversations. Um sure. First question, Mandy, is what job would you be terrible at? <laughs> um, I think anything that required a lot of fast-paced stuff or a lot of numbers. And so I guess mm. that would be something like working in the stock exchange where they're oh, just yeah. like, you know, I don't even know what they're doing, but it doesn't look like something I would yep. be good at. So yep. that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. Uh, a lot of pastors tell me that when I ask that question, like the, the numbers thing, like anything oh, that yeah. has to do with numbers. Yeah. I, we just don't like numbers. I, I wouldn't either. I don't. I would hate that. Yeah, <laughs> I like yeah. ideas, right? Ideas. Yes. Yeah. And 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 relationships. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, okay. Second question is: What's the most formative book that you've read? Yeah, I kept finding myself thinking it's got to be a Thomas Merton or a C.S. Lewis book, mm. but I think it's more their whole bodies of work that has been formative to me. If I had to pick one mm. book, uh -huh. it would be a little book called A Little Manual for Knowing written by a Christian, a Christian epistemologist oh. called Esther Lightcap Meek, which is a wonderful oh. name. And yeah. um, she basically um, compares what we normally think of as knowing, which is knowledge as information, with what she calls loving in order to know, which I think really mm. responds well to the um, Western ways of knowing and this kind of postmodern turn that we're in. Um, mm. And and embraces the way that we engage as whole people uh, in everything, every way that we come to know, whether it's knowing in knowing ideas or actually coming oh. to know 
another being, including God. So yeah. um, it's just a really, it's a small book, but it's really satisfying and it just really appeals on so many levels. So um, wow. I would have to say that one. It's got, based on the number of outline of, of underlines and post-it notes, I would, I would uh -huh. have to say that one wins the Wow. Wins and and the so, so I, I don't think I've ever heard of this book. Tell me the title one more time. A Little Manual for Knowing. A Little Manual for Knowing. I'm writing that down. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. It's a gem. Okay, and the author again? Esther. Esther. Yeah, Lightcap. It's like Nightcap, but with an L. Okay. <laughs> and then Meek, as in Blessed Arthur. Oh, very cool. All yeah, right, she's cool. delightful. Cool. Okay, good. And um, and then the third question is, what's the dumbest thing you've done that actually turned out pretty well? Yeah, the first <laughs> thing that comes to mind is a little bit troubling because oh, okay. it, um, it's getting married. Um, mm, at the time yeah. that I did and in the uh -huh. way that I did. So I do not, well, the question <laughs> is it turned out well because it did turn out well. Um, okay. But I was um, four months out of high school when I got uh -huh. married and then about two months after that we left the country um, to live in the United States. Wow. So um, ev so many people were telling us, you know, how dumb that was to be so right. young and to right. not only get married but to leave our family so quickly and um, – yeah, I actually wouldn't change a thing. So wow, well, good. Okay. And your hu husband was just as young, or he's five years older than me, so oh, maybe that helps. Awesome. But maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> wow, well, good. I'm, that's great news that it uh, worked it out. Turned out, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Well, um, why don't you just kind of tell us a little bit about your journey? What, um, what's your, what has your path been? You know, and what yeah. brought you to where you are right now? Sure. Well, I grew up in Australia and um, attending church and being a part of a Christian home. And I think I've just always um, felt like there was a God. I don't always feel his presence, but it's not been hard for me to um, believe that there is a God and, and that God is good and cares. Um, and I remember when I was about 11, I was at a camp and um felt really called to respond to the kind of, you know, make a decision moment at the end of the chaplain's sermon and uh -huh. um, couldn't bring myself to go. I think I overthought it, you know, I couldn't bring myself to actually go forward during the song and was so mm -hmm. upset with myself. I ran out crying uh -huh. into a nearby field and the chaplain followed me out and she said, um, you know, Mandy, I, I sense God has something special for you. And, mm -hmm. I thought at the time that that was to be a missionary because she was a missionary. Uh -huh. um, I had no idea what that meant. But but for me, that was a sense of, um, I guess it could have meant he has something to give me. Um, yeah. But I, I read it as or understood it as he has something for me to do. And oh. so from the very beginning, my sense of obedience to follow God has also been very interwoven with, you know, it's like my personal faith can't, I just can't imagine that without it somehow also being about serving and mm. and working alongside of him in some way. And so that's yeah. gone through various, you know, then through most of my high school experience, you wouldn't have said I was somebody who had <laughs> who had, had that call. But um, then when I met my husband when I was still at the end of my high school years and he had been raised being told he was going to one day go to Bible college in America, mm. that 
I'd never had that presented to me and um, nobody had ever said, you know, maybe you could do this one day. And as soon as I heard it, I thought, oh, yeah, I could totally see myself doing that. And mm-hmm. so um, interestingly, I, I realize now how unusual this is, but um, the church elders decided to affirm our call during our wedding ceremony. Huh. So as a 17 and 23 or 22-year-old, um, we kneeled during that ceremony and basically had our ordination as well, which I know doesn't go through the normal paths of, you know, you get the education first and then you go through the ordination process, but we're from a denomination that's kind of, I don't know, a bit of a frontier (laughs) approach to things, you know, and um, if it's kind of New Testament Christianity kind of thing, if the, if the elders lay hands on you, then you have been approved by the church, you know, and so I don't even think all of them had finished high school and yet, um, they sealed something in us, and wow. I think um, I think I took that seriously, and I think the spirit uh-huh. took that seriously, even though it mm. didn't look maybe as official as ordination usually does. Um, and I realize now how strange that seems to be ordained before you go to Bible college. Right. Um, but it got me through a lot of upheavals because we didn't realize that we were going off to a Bible college that actually had pretty limited roles for me, and so to be going through that process. Um, just as a young person in general, just wondering what God has in store for you and to be told, um, and sometimes in un- unkind ways, all the things you can't do, it it really shapes your formation as a person and as a follower. And so um, that's been a big part of, of my story and just having to mm-hmm. wrestle with the Lord about how how do the things that I feel called in myself to do um, how are they possible if the church doesn't seem to affirm them or the Bible doesn't seem to affirm them? And so right. that was a really formative process for me to go through to kind of say, well, I die to myself and I don't want to do anything that God doesn't want me to do, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, to just say, you know, I believe the Lord is one. I can't see how all these things can be in harmony, but I absolutely believe he is one and I'm just not able to see in my limited vision. And so um, I think that really shaped me. It, I still mm. draw on that on a regular basis for other reasons, you know, when mm. we can't pay the bills at church or when there's many questions, you know, I to come back to that, I still yeah. believe the Lord is one, even though I can't understand how we resolve this issue. Yeah. So um, that's been a big part of my um, spiritual formation as well mm. as my formation as a leader, I think. Mm-hmm. And um and so now you're the pastor at uh University Christian Church and mm-hmm. what led you to that? Yeah, so we um I was right out of Bible college, you know, I was really gung ho and ready to go into ministry and um ended up working full time so my husband could finish his PhD and then I was home for ten years with my kids. So um I think it's really important to to name that because not everybody walks straight out of their seminary training and right into some kind of, you know, full-time paid perfect ministry situation. So it was 13 years out of Bible college before I actually had a paid ministry role. And even then it was part-time. And of course I believe that being home with the kids was a ministry of its own, but at the same time I was really kind of struggling with, you know, why am I feeling this sense of call to also serve the church? Um, And what does that look like? And so um, 
then uh, we were actually attending University Christian Church and had been a part of it for some time. Hmm. And um, I remember sitting on the balcony with my husband when the then lead pastor mentioned that they might be looking for an associate pastor and both my husband and I, we we found out afterwards, both of us just felt like, oh, that's totally mandy, you know. <laughs> and so he actually went to the lead pastor on my behalf and said, um, well, I didn't send him, but he just decided sure. he wanted to go, you know, um, and say, you know, Mandy's been look, been thinking about getting a part-time job if you're interested. So they kind of shaped a job mm. for me, which was kind um, of cool. And yeah. so I started as um, 20 hours a week, part-time associate pastor, mostly overseeing worship and uh, volunteers and kind of d- discipleship stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and that was a really great situation for me. And I never would have really thought I wanted to preach or wanted to be the lead pastor. Um, but the lead pastor at the time who I loved working with um, was feeling called to more and more things and um, was involved in a lot of justice work and speaking and writing on that and doing a lot of um, kind of advocacy. And so the more I encouraged him to do that because he's really gifted at that, I didn't think about how that was going to affect me and mm. uh, his his ability to be at, in the in the same role. So yeah. the more he stepped into that and I was excited about that, the more I started to, you know, that required me to be stepping into more and more things yeah. um, until one day uh, I got a call on a Saturday night at 10 p.m. saying, uh, I'm stuck in – uh, an airport in Minnesota or somewhere, <laughs> and oh. uh, you know, we. I'm not uh-huh. going to be home. I'm not going to be back in time to preach. Basically, you know, wow. and so I'd never <laughs> taken a preaching class, you know, and uh-huh. so that was my introduction to preaching. And actually, wow. I preached on the sermon. the The passage for the day was the um, feeding of the five thousand. And so I remember just feeling like that boy with not much in my hands, you know, and, yeah. and actually holding my hands before the congregation and saying like, yeah. I haven't got much to offer, but I'm willing to offer it, you know, and I trust yeah. that God can make it into a, a feast. Wow. So anyway, that's a long story to answer well, your question. Uh, but that's uh I mean I'm just putting myself in your shoes. I've I've never had to I've never gotten a call like that or even had to call off myself. But like to be put in that position would be so scary, especially if you've never done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, did you did you stay up and write your sermon that night, or or did you have something kind um, of ready to go? Or I think I think I had been doing a lectio divina based on that passage that week, so I had a few ideas. Okay. So I wasn't starting from nothing. Uh-huh. And my husband, who's been a preacher and is a New Testament professor, said, "You know, okay. do you want me to do something?" And I was like, "No, I'm the pastor uh, of the church, yeah. so." I need to do this. So I probably did stay up pretty late. Um, sure. But um, I think just as much with – there were two factors really that were making me kind of feel overwhelmed. And one of them was just like, what am I going to say and am I going to be good at this? But also, yeah. like I'd never seen anybody like me do what I was about to do. Mm. And so even though I had seen a few women preach, they were mostly people who aren't my kind of personality and who maybe mm. – um, it comes more naturally to preach in the more traditional way. And yeah. that's just not who I am. And yeah. so um, I just was like, I don't even know how to be me and be yeah. preaching at the same time. So yeah. that was probably just as um, just as uh, overwhelming for me as just the whole question of what the sermon would be. Yeah. So that's a great transition then to talking about the idea of a vulnerable pastor, because that mm-hmm. was a moment of 
real vulnerability, it sounds like for you. Yeah, um, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. Jump in the deep end. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, well, the idea of a, vul- like you, so you wrote the book, The Vulnerable pa- Pastor. Why mm-hmm. did you want to write this book? Like, what, well, yeah. I don't know if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things where I felt called to it. And of course, it gave me great joy to trust that maybe God might encourage somebody else through it. But I think probably it was like, this is a book I wish someone else had written for me. And it's, mm. and so I'm going to write it for someone else. And yeah. uh, I really wanted to just put my ideas out there. And God was like, Mm-mm, that's not going to be <laughs> enough. You're like these ideas huh. mean nothing if they're not somehow embodied in a real human story. Yeah, yeah. And so um, that was really there's, deeply there's a uncomfortable. Lot of you in, yeah. There's a lot of yeah. you in, in the book. Yeah. Which, yeah. yeah. And given that I'm, that I'm often kind of in the crosshairs from people who, you know, a lot of people would be like, of course she was going to write about vulnerability because she's a woman. But in mm-hmm. some ways when people are already kind of looking for a reason why you shouldn't be doing it, for you then to tell the stories of how you fail or how you um, don't meet all of the standards of what a leader is supposed to look like, then that's just you, like I was very much aware that I was giving people fodder. And there have been some people when I share those kinds of stories who've been like, well, you wouldn't have so many problems if you just weren't so unfaithful. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> so I just, I knew I was putting myself out there. So I don't know if I wanted to write it, but I did definitely wow. feel compelled to write it. Um, okay. So, and just to be, just to clarify, for mm-hmm. me, the word vulnerability is not only limited to the way that we hear Brene Brown talking about it, although I love her work and I think it's really important and it's a part of what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Um, as a, as an artist and as someone who loves Paul's work about, you know, talking about weakness, yeah. um, I think that vulnerability is just the experience of being human. It's mm. not just sharing something or not sharing something about yourself, but the experience just the experience of of knowing that we live in skin that's tender yeah. and and with minds that age and get tired and with hearts that you know get broken and um so as much as we might try to avoid the experience of our own limitation it's it's an inherently human experience and um our culture especially shames that mm-hmm. and makes us feel like something's wrong with us if we run out of ideas or get tired or get old or all of those things. Yeah. But I think there's an there's a a real moment of potential to trust the Lord and to know His strength, which I think is exactly what Paul is talking about with yeah. his in in his in our weakness He is strong thing. And so I I think I just got smacked in the head with that when I was stepping into the lead pastor role because I could mm-hmm. I was very much aware of all the ways that I don't live up to the standards of what a strong leader looks like, Um, just my personality, not just the gender stuff, but um, I'm kind of emotional and I'm an artist and I'm an introvert and I'm not American. And there were just so many ways that I don't check off all the boxes of what, if you Google Christian leader, you don't get a picture of me. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, I was very much aware of that. And I went to a big Christian conference around that time when I was stepping into the new role thinking, oh, God's going to use this to equip me for this new role. And he definitely did, but not in the way that I expected Hmm. because um, I just kept finding, and I didn't go with a chip on my shoulder. I really went with an open heart, but I just kept seeing ways in which I didn't belong there directly and indirectly. And it broke my heart after years of preparation and prayer for a role that I was stepping into to, to go to a conference of people like me and to realize I don't, I don't look like these people or think like Mm, these people. 
And so it really was devastating, not just to my sense of career, but to my sense of calling and of my own personal faith. Since my mm. original sense of saying yes to God had been interwoven my call and my, and my personal faith. So I, I remember just kind of fleeing to my hotel room and locking myself up in there for mm. about 24 hours and I didn't eat. I think I threw up a couple of times and, uh, I just lay across the bed and told the Lord, you've made a mistake. I've got nothing. If you want me, if I'm supposed to look like that for me to say yes to you, then I can't do this. Mm. And um, I really wanted him to come alongside of me and say, you know, like a good friend would say, oh, look at all these things you can do and look at all this experience and you go girl and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't feel that at all. And he just kept saying, in your weakness, I am strong. Which really felt flat and unmeaningful because I assumed it meant in your weakness I'll make you feel strong. Yeah. And that wasn't happening. And so it didn't ring true. Wow. And um so I went back to the church and stepped into this new role without having that resolved really, but just knowing that God was promising in my weakness he could be strong. And little by little, it took me several months before I even started to um, imagine this pos- possibility that usually when I am aware of my weakness, whether it's, you know, I can't answer this person's question or I can't fix this person's problem or I can't write this sermon or I can't plan the programs of my church or whatever, I can't fix yeah. the issues with offering, all the things that we deal yeah. with on a daily basis. Every yeah. time I was confronted with that, um, when there's shame, which is the way the world treats us and the way the enemy you know, Uh says there's a problem with you if you aren't God, Um, then we just want to either hide that or work even harder or read another book or buy a product or go to a conference or, you know, get on Netflix or something to avoid that moment of truth. Mm -hmm. And if we instead see it as an invitation to say, yeah, I am limited and I really need the Lord, you know, then every one of those moments actually becomes an opportunity to grow in our trust in him. And so um, that feels like good news to me (laughs) and that feels doable to me. If, um, if ever, I I believe that the best ministry grows from reliance on God Mm -hmm. and our weakness and limitation teaches us reliance on God. And so, limitation is a ministry resource yeah which is not what the world will tell us right yeah right so that's that's kind of my story that's that's the book in a nutshell then i unpack like what does that look like personally in my in my work with the staff and the leaders in my work with the broader congregation and with people outside of the church what does that look like to be that kind of a leader yeah um i uh so i resonated with um you know, almost everything or probably everything, <laughs> a lot, you know, I just resonated with your book and the idea of being a vulnerable pastor, um, partly because, you know, I kind of, I've, so I think a lot of people stuff those feelings of mm-hmm. not feeling good enough. A lot of pastors, mm-hmm. a lot of leaders, and I'm sure I did. Um, uh, but I, I definitely remember feeling like, I'm not like that pastor or like that person that I look up to, or, you know, I wish I could be more like that. And why am I not good enough? Um, And then uh, uh, I shared before we started recording, you know, my last church kind of crashed down uh, and, and uh, just ended really painfully. And it just kind of exposed in me all of that vulnerability. Um, 
and so I, so I resonated with that. And, um, and as you were talking, I was thinking a lot about, uh, like true self, false self kind of yes, stuff. Yes. Um, uh, we, what we present to the world for the most part is not really who we are, right? And mm -hmm. what God is interested in is the deep down yeah. true self that I am. And yeah. it sounds like what you're saying is live from that. Yes. Um, discover and that, yeah. Exactly. And these moments of confronting our limitation actually hold in them the potential to be those moments that purify that so that we can go back to the Lord and say, who do you say that I am? And how do yes. you want to use me even as this yeah. person you've made me to be? But yeah. we can avoid them so much out of the shame of that, that we actually never really use the potential that is hidden in that moment. Yeah. I have, it's really interesting for me because I go and speak about this sometimes. And when you get a room of pastors and you ask them, you know, what, how would you finish this sentence? I'm not blank enough to be used by God or I'm too mm. blank to be used by God. And you just fill up a whiteboard with their answers. After a while, they start kind of um, crossing one another out. <laughs> so huh. one person in the room says, I'm too young to be used by God. Uh -huh. And someone else says, I'm too old. And someone says, I'm too quiet and bookish. Mm. And one person says, I'm too loud and not intelligent enough. And, you know, like at mm. some point I say, all right, who is this imaginary person? Yeah. Like 35 and a half year old white male with two right. kids, like, and an extrovert. Like, who is this yeah. person? Right. And if age is related to it, even that person's only there for a limited time, you know? Yeah. And so I think that is a work of the devil, honestly, mm -hmm. to say, like, oh, only this very small slice of Christians can be used by God. Right. And so it, it cuts out this, like the entire church basically then is not um, able to be used by God if we have to yeah. all fit that model. Yeah. So I, my longing is for us to be released to allow the possibility that, you know, God can be embodied as he was in Jesus. He longs yeah. just as much for his spirit to be lived out through, you know, a middle-aged African-American woman ministering yeah. in the suburbs and, you know, yeah. the, all the, you know, all of the stereotypes that we have, right. Right. Um, somehow God wants, there is a unique way that he can show himself through every single individual who feels called to serve him. And I just think the church will serve the world even more beautifully and fully and show an even more multifaceted face of God to the world um, yep. when we step into that. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. One of the things, uh, as you were talking that I started thinking about was, are you, are you familiar with the Enneagram? Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Okay. So what may I ask what number you are? I'm a nine with a one nine. wing. Okay. Uh, I'm a nine and I think oh, it's well. with one wing as well. Yeah. And maybe that's why I resonated with a lot of what you wrote. <laughs> right. So as nines, uh, then we're, we're peacemakers, but we don't fit necessarily the achiever, go get them kind of. Right. Um, personality. So I was thinking about ones, threes, and eights, right? Ones are mm -hmm. the reformers, uh, threes are the achievers, eights are the, uh, challengers. And what do you, do you think that maybe those numbers or are there numbers that maybe have a harder time with vulnerability? Uh, those were the yeah. numbers that came to mind for me. I don't know for sure. Yeah. But I wondered too if sixes are like worried about mm -hmm. letting down their guard mm -hmm. or something as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we all struggle with it in some way or another. 
perfectionist yeah. definitely as a one wing i that's a yeah. that's probably the biggest part of me that wanted mm-hmm. to just hide my vulnerabilities and what i've really had to get over um yeah. i often say i'm a perfectionist but not a very good one <laughs> yeah yeah that's um, good <laughs> so which <laughs> frustrates me because i want to be a good perfectionist yeah. you know right right um, right right but yeah, I I think it doesn't help too that the culture really has so many ideals. You know, this is where all of our ideals that that marketing just loves to say, here's all the ways you should be and all the ways that you're not. And by the way, there's a product for that, you know, that yeah. we don't even realize how much that's built into our way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, now, uh it's not, of course, I'm just thinking, uh, not, it's not just pastors who are called to be vulnerable, um, human beings, right? You were saying uh, vulnerability is really just the, uh, living into our humanity, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, how do we help churches, people in our congregations also live into healthy vulnerability? Yes. I wish I could tell you it's by talking about it. <laughs> that would be much more comfortable for me than sure. what is actually, I think, the real answer, which is to just do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is where it takes a lot of discernment to know what to let be seen of behind the scenes and yeah. with whom and when. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the really vulnerable part about that is that we can't even do that perfectly. So the yeah. only way to figure that out is by just doing it. Um, and asking the Lord to help us be wise. And so I just had a moment recently even, we had a, a training time, like a prayer training for about 15 leaders in the church. And um, during the pr- training, someone else was doing it and they were asking a question um, or they were raising, they were talking about helping people in their woundedness. And I found myself in tears because there'd been a painful situation in my ministry um, mm-hmm. where I was trying to imagine how to be a good pastor to a person who had wounded me. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of hypothetically asked the question, well, how do we pray for someone who I could pray all day long for people or with people who mm-hmm. are wounded in a way that's not related to me, but what about when it's more personal than that? And how do you minister with someone or pray with someone when their wounding is wounding you? And, yeah, um, uh, you know, I didn't need it to become about me. I had a little tear in my eye, but I, I, you know, I was fine for them to just answer the question. And someone else in the room said, Mandy, this feels really important. Can we pray for you? Yeah. And it was still kind of raw for me. So a part of me wanted to say, mm, no, <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, um, I felt like I had to say yes, and I also felt like I had yeah. to warn them I was going to bore my eyes out. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. um, yeah. I sat on the floor, and these 15 beautiful people from my congregation that I'm supposed to lead prayed for me, which I know blesses people so much to pray for their leader. Yeah, yeah. And um, something was healed in me um, because the same church that had, had in some way been a place that had been hurting me was also now a part of God's healing of me. But then several people afterwards said, oh, there's, you know, watching you do that made me realize there's a way I need to ask for prayer as well. Mm-hmm. And so God puts me in a place regularly where that's a gift that he wants me to give to people that I would prefer not to give to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, modeling it is always the best way to do it, even if we have to be um, sometimes get it wrong, you know, and sometimes yeah. have to apologize. 
Yeah, that's good. Um, okay. Let me ask one more question. Um, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. But, mm-hmm. um, you say one of the things you mentioned, uh, is when you, encourage your people or when you have people share share a testimony in your church one of the things you tell them is don't just tell how you've arrived mm-hmm. share where you're st- what you're still figuring out so mm-hmm. for you what are you still figuring out oh boy you're using my own advice on me uh, <laughs> what am i still figuring out i think it's good to do yeah. with that because that was still fairly recent mm-hmm. okay. um how much is my church that i lead also my church you know, mm, so yeah, right. I know that I wouldn't be a very good pastor if I had absolutely no needs and just was functioning as a professional person. Yep. At the same time, I'm not a good pastor if I um, if I treat the church in the same way that the typical person can treat a congregation. And so I actually recently made a list of the things, I hate to say that we get from church, but you know what I mean, like uh-huh, the, the, sure. the, the needs that necessary. God has given yeah. us the church to meet. There's about five or six different things, you know, people to pray for you, people to support you in practical ways, place to vent and process and um, various, you know, different, different needs that we have. And I realized, like, I think for a a pastor, we have to kind of delegate those out. They can't all be in one place as they might be ideally for a person who attends a congregation. But to say, you know, I, I have to find a group of friends or a counselor for these particular things, people who aren't at the congregation that I serve. But the congregation yeah. that I serve still can pray for me in yeah. appropriate ways and still can serve my family in practical ways when there's a sickness yeah. or a death or whatever. And so yeah. um, I'm still... I'm still figuring out how to how to discern that well, but um, I think pastors. Well, I should speak for myself. I part of the reason I got for this got into this is because I love the church so yeah. much, big yeah. big C church, yeah. and I need community so much, mm-hmm. and I just long to belong. That's the nine in me, maybe. And mm-hmm. so it's one of the hardest things for me to be in the center of this community and yet at the same time to feel sometimes like I'm really alone. And yeah. so I'm still learning how to do that well, to be at the center in some ways and yet somehow, you know, not quite really a part of the congregation in the same way as other people are. Yeah. Wow. Nice. Um, well, good. Well, I uh, just want to commend the book for everyone. Um, so good. How can people find you? What's a good way for folks to... Yeah, get a hold of you or connect. Find me. I'm on Twitter. Yeah, um, Twitter. Okay. UCC Mandy and uh, Facebook. And I write for Missio Alliance quite a bit. They have a really great writers collective, Um, missioalliance.org. And I do write for Christian Christianity Today some as well. So you can find me online. All right. Search Mandy Smith UCC, something like that. (laughs) Google. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for uh, yeah being here today and for sharing and for even expressing some vulnerability here. Um, uh, yeah, I'm really grateful. Uh, yeah, so it's thanks, been great. Mandy. Thanks for having me. Vulnerability is hard. <laughs> well, or, or maybe maybe what I should say is uh, is that embracing and accepting our vulnerability is hard, right? Because everybody has it, because everybody is human. Um, and yet it is as we embrace our vulnerability, which we hate to do, it's as we embrace it that God can finally begin to work through us in all the ways that he really wants to work through us and in ways that are way deeper and much more 
effective, and powerful. Well, I invite you to follow Mandy Smith on Twitter. Uh, her Twitter handle is at UCCMandy. And you can also look up her writing on the Missio Alliance website, www.missioalliance.org. You can also look for her in Christianity Today. Uh, I'll include links to those in the show notes. Also, I'll include a link to her book, The Vulnerable Pastor, which is a fantastic book, and I encourage you to check it out. If you'd like to connect with me, uh, you can find me at www.marcuswatson.com. Um, my email address, marcus at marcuswatson.com, and my Twitter handle, at Marcus Watson. All of these, I've said it before, I'll say it again, Marcus with a K. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being here today, and I will see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership. Spiritual Life and Leadership.